Why don't we stand together, and if you have your Bibles, I want you to uh, take your Bibles, and I want to say a big thank you for all the very, very kind remarks and kind response from uh, Brother Huizar and the church family, and uh, means a lot to me, and I'm very appreciative of it, and I'm sure I'll be appreciative of the gifts as well, amen, while I wasn't expecting anything. And uh, also, I'd like to say it's a great honor to have our good friends, Brother Craig and Sister Hannah Keith with us, visiting from Indiana, friends of my wife and I. God bless you. The book of John, chapter 14, and verse 8, I am aware of the time, and we will move rap- mucho rapido. John 14 and 8, the Bible says, Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. I want to focus your attention on Philip's request of Jesus. He said, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. We'll be happy then. Show us the Father. And I want to speak for just a few moments today on this subject. Show us the Father's. Show us the Father's. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for truth. We thank you, Lord God, for the way that you have impacted our lives in a way that uh, is impossible to quantify. And we pray, Jesus, that you would enable us in a short time to make a, a huge impact and to impact our minds and our hearts and our lives through your word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. God bless you, and you may be seated. This is an interesting passage from the message, The Life of Jesus Christ as he was revealing himself progressively to his disciples, they didn't realize immediately that he was the Messiah. But as they spent time with him, they discovered who he was. At this point in the uh, history of Jesus' time on the earth, it was very close to his crucifixion where he would be separated from his disciples. And he was unfolding a full revelation of who he was to them. We can see in this passage that this man, Philip, had an un clear or an incomplete understanding of who Jesus was, and uh, by the nature of his question, you see that he thought that Jesus Christ and God were two separate persons. He said to Jesus, show us the Father. You've spoken so much of your Father in heaven. Show us the Father, and uh, we'll be satisfied. Praise the Lord. Amen. I think we'll get that taken care of in just a moment. Praise the Lord. All right. No pressure, no stress. Everybody cool? All right. I'm going to go ahead and continue, and hopefully it'll turn off. Now, there is a statement that became part of pop culture recently. The statement is, show me the money. 
But Philip said, show us the Father. And if you show us the Father, it'll be sufficient for us. And Jesus clarified his misunderstanding by saying, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Why are you still asking to see the Father? Jesus said, I and my Father are one. So it's a powerful understanding of Christology that Jesus and the Father are one. But what I'd like to do is focus on that statement, show us or show us the Father, and it will be sufficient. I believe, I believe that while the apostle Philip said, we want to see the Father, and it'll make things right, I believe our society and culture is crying out, show us the Father's in our culture. Amen. Praise God. What should I do? Amen. So, I, I believe that the cry of our day is this. In this culture, they need to see the fathers. Now, there are social architects in our day that have suggested why in the world do we even need fathers? And we have, some of you may remember years ago when Murphy Brown determined to have a child without a husband or a father and it created social outcry not because she was left with a child but she was choosing I don't need a man and we don't need a father to raise this child we even see today that lesbian couples are allowed to adopt children indicating again the lack of the importance of a father so the question is who needs a father when child support will take care of a child, who needs a dad when there's a welfare check? And who needs a father? I've got my own career. I can make it on my own. This is the mindset and the idea in our culture today. And it is a result of man, humans, human beings and men losing their masculinity in our culture. The traditional role of the father and the husband has been ridiculed and viewed as old-fashioned and passe and outdated, kind of like a horse-drawn carriage or a mule that would pull a plow. In fact, the traditional concepts of masculinity and femininity have been battered and ridiculed for more than 20 years, and people are confused in our world today. Can I share with you that for 2,000 years in world history, uh, I'm sorry, Throughout all of world history, 2,000 cultures have been studied. And out of those 2,000 cultures, only 55 have attempted to blur masculinity and femininity. But not one of these unisex societies lasted more than just a few years. Why is that? Why would it only last a little while? Get this point right now. I know we got issues going on, but get this point if you hear anything. Societies are no stronger than the viability of their families. And families function based on how males and females, husbands and wives, fathers and mothers relate to each other. Womanhood was defined a certain way for thousands of years. But that same way that womanhood has been defined has been ridiculed and mocked since 1968. And radical feminism has sought to reorder the relationship between the sexes. 
Remember the term housewife? Housewife used to be a respected term, but since the radical feminine revolution, the term housewife became a symbol of exploitation, oppression, and stupidity. Since the beginning of time, women have identified themselves with raising children and those responsibilities. It was honorable and it required no apology. And all of the Judeo-Christian values have been under constant attack by all media and by the press and by the entertainment industry and it has literally changed the way that America thinks. Amen. And the case against traditional womanhood has been heard and the world will never be the same again. Something tells me the devil does not want you to hear this message today. That's it. Somebody sit on that thing or something. You may say, well, the role of the woman has been challenged and changed and a housewife is no longer respected. If a woman doesn't have an education and career, they're considered uninformed in our culture. But how does this relate to fathers and manhood? I want to tell you that maleness has been turned upside down in our culture and it has created a generation of men who are uncertain about what their role is. What does it really mean to be a man today? What is the role? Is the man supposed to earn a living for his wife? Is he supposed to provide leadership for his family in major decisions? Is there anything that distinguishes the role of the man from that of his wife? Now historically, a man's role was very clear. There was little uncertainty about what a man was supposed to do and what a man was supposed to be. They were expected to protect and provide for their wives and children. Amen. The traditional role of a man was that he was to protect and provide for his wife and his children. And they felt strongly about this obligation. A man would be willing to lay down his life for his wife and his children. He would defend the honor of his wife. Don't nobody talk bad about his wife. And she felt secure in the man's care. And he took great satisfaction in this security. And it was this masculine identity, get this point, that linked the man to his wife and his children and gave him a sense of pride and accomplishment because he knew what his role was. And in our culture today, This role is being taken away from the man. One of the greatest threats to the family today is the undermining of the father's role as provider and protector. Because men were designed physically and emotionally to be able to contribute this, to be able to protect and provide. And when it's taken away from the man, it jeopardizes their commitment to their wives and their children. man doesn't feel like he's needed to be the protector and the provider, then he no longer feels that strong connection and commitment to his wife and his children. There's a sociologist, George Gilder, who wrote, get this, single men as a class are often the greatest threat to society. Until they accept the responsibility for families Single men's sexual aggression is largely unbridled and potentially destructive. Let me give you a few statistics here. Did you know that men 
commit over 90% of the major crimes of violence? You guys know that? 90%. That means women are responsible for only 10%. Men are responsible for right at 100% of all rapes. Men are responsible for 95% of all burglaries. 94% of drunken drivers are men. And 70% of suicides are men. And get this, single men comprise 80 to 90% of most of these categories of crime and social pathology. Single men, on average, make less money than any other group in society, even single women. Single men, the, the uh, insurance actuary tables will, will, will make this very clear. Single men are less responsible about paying their bills. Single men are less responsible about their driving and about their personal conduct. And so their insurance rates are higher. Everybody get this? I'm, I'm not shooting guns. I'm just showing you here what the, what the reality is. And by nature, women are naturally motivated to achieve long-term stability. They have what's called a maternal instinct. Everybody say maternal instinct. And it causes them to crave stable homes and steady income. They crave it and desire it. So if you, if you recognize this is God's divine plan here, when a man falls in love with a woman and dedicates himself to care for this woman and for his family to protect and support her, suddenly this man who is wild at heart and causes the majority of crimes in the world suddenly becomes the mainstay of social order. I, I don't know if you're getting any of this, but the reality is men are wild at heart. Men stir up and cause problems. But all of a sudden, when they commit themselves to a woman to provide, to, to give security, all of a sudden at that point, they become the backbone and of stability in the culture. This is God's divine plan. So then, instead of using his energies to pursue his own lusts and his own desires, he sweats and works hard to build a home and to seek the best job available to provide and to protect. And because of this, now his selfish impulses are inhibited, and his sexual passions are channeled. And this is all about this thing called masculine pride. He is needed by his wife and kids. That's why he gets up in the morning and goes to work. Everyone benefits from this relationship. I hope you got maybe 10% of the last little bit that I said. And when this plan is in full effect, when men are in the role of the father and the husband, the provider and the protector, and they feel satisfied and fulfilled and gratified in that position, and this happens over and over and over and over in culture, and you have millions of family units with these determined roles, what happens? The society and the nation is strong and stable. Let me read this quote. When men have no reason to harness their energies in support of their home, what happens? Drug abuse, alcoholism, sexual misconduct, job instability, aggressive behavior runs unchecked through the culture. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not talking about individuals. I'm talking about as a culture, as a whole. It happens. And we see this in welfare cultures. 
welfare cultures. What happens in welfare cultures? The government pays the bills instead of the husband or the father. So who needs a man? I got a check. So what does the man then do? He gets out of the way. He procreates and disappears. He becomes a donor and then he disappears. His masculinity has been assaulted. Do you get that point? His masculinity is tied to this idea, this is my role and this is what I'm supposed to do. And when that's taken away from him, he then takes it out on the culture that has rejected him and his role. It all begins with an unhealthy relationship between the sexes and an abandonment of traditional roles of masculinity and femininity. I want to tell you today, I'm not saying that every woman must become a mother or has to be a housewife. I believe those that have to work should be respected for that. But I also believe that those who do, that do become a mother and do commit themselves to be a housewife must be honored and respected. Can we put our hands together if we believe that? And there should be clear distinctions between maleness and femaleness. These clear distinctions made clear by clothing, customs, and functions. There's got to be a delineation Men should be encouraged to provide for and protect their families, even laying down their own lives for them if necessary. Boys and girls should be taught that the sexes are equal in their value and worth, but they are different from one another. Girls should know that they are girls, and boys should know that they are boys with no blurring of the roles. I'm going to tell you what's wrong with our culture and our society right now. It's unraveling because the roles have been undefined. The lines have been blurred and there's a lack of clarity in these areas. In order for our society to survive, our culture needs men. Therefore, I make the statement, show us the fathers. Not just men, but men who know who they are and where they're going. Show us the fathers. Men who know in whom they believe, show us the fathers. Men who will put the best interests of their wives and children above their own selfish desires and pursuits, show us the fathers. Men who will fight for what they believe and model these qualities for children during their impressionable years, show us the fathers. Husbands and fathers have come today to challenge you, to encourage you, to let you know that you hold the keys to the preservation of the family. It's up to you to provide leadership in important areas, to give loving authority in your family, to provide financial management and spiritual training, and to maintain the marital relationship, to be a man to do what God has called you to do. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 says this, husbands Love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. When you see a visual of Jesus dying on the cross, that's the way you're to be committed to your wives and to your children. And when a man is put in a position where he has that responsibility, he will man up. Amen. So we want to recommit ourselves to this divinely ordered responsibility to love our wives as Christ loved the church. 
I also want to talk to you about your role as a father. We have several fathers that stood up here today. Let's be realistic. Our children complicate our lives. Can we be realistic about that? Someone said insanity is an inherited disease. You get it from your kids. But you also get love and meaning and purpose and an opportunity to give from your children. I was riding in the car the other day with Brooklyn last year, and uh, she chatters, chatters, chatters. She said, Dad, Dad, God wrote the Bible, right? God, God wrote the Bible, right, right, right? I said, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, God wrote the Bible. She said, Dad, Dad, he's a good writer, right? He, he's, he's, he's a good writer. I said, yes, he's a good, good writer. He said, the devil's not a good writer, right, Dad? The devil is not a good writer. I said, no, he's not a good. He just scribbles, doesn't he, Dad? He, he just scribbles. So I said, yeah. So I, I realized that she actually thought that God used the pen to make those perfect little letters in the Bible. And the devil's penmanship must be pretty awful. But uh, this week I uh, went to the school and my daughter Cambria, who's 11 years old, graduated from elementary school. And I realized that the door of her childhood was coming to a close. Childhood, that special time of toddler and elementary years where they're very impressionable. But the thing is, once that door is closed, it's never going to be opened again. And those toddler years and elementary years are fleeting opportunities, priceless periods where we can influence our children. Sadly, this same time, oftentimes, is when fathers are the least accessible to their kids because they're trying to establish their careers. I heard the story of uh, two kids out on the front porch talking, neighbor, neighborhood kids, and one said to the other, said, hey, wh- where's your daddy? I've, I've never seen him here. And he said, oh, my daddy doesn't live here. He just sleeps here. And uh, so how many fathers don't really live in their home, but they just sleep there? The question is, show us, show us the fathers. Too often fathers are so busy that they abdicate their responsibilities for leadership and influence in the lives of their children. Studies show this. This, is, this really shocked me when I read this, that fathers were asked how much time they spent interacting with their toddlers on a daily basis, little children. And most of the fathers estimated between 15 to 20 minutes that they spent interacting with their children. So what they did is they put little microphones on the little kids, little toddlers, and they, didn't, they didn't, got an actual understanding of how much time the fathers spent interacting with the toddlers. And guess what it was? In direct interaction with their toddlers, it added up to an average of 37 seconds a day. 37 seconds a day. And then at the same time, the average preschooler spends 30 to 50 hours per week watching TV. 37 seconds a day. And we wonder where our kids are getting their values from. Amen. So how do we change this tide? Should we sit down and do lessons with our children? I mean, that's appropriate, but the reality is values are not taught as much as they are caught by children. And that requires spending some time with them. And we convey our faith and our values to our children. The best way to do it is to do it subtly through routine interactions with your kids and everyday living. Just this last week, I was sitting on my couch, on the couch, on my computer, and 
my daughter Cambry, who's here today, came up and began to ask me questions about hell. She said, Dad, is it, is it for real, really, really fire, or is it just the idea that, that we're not going to be able to go to heaven once if, if we go to hell? But is it, are we going to be falling? And uh, so she was asking me questions. I was busy doing something, and I, I realized that, that this was an opportunity to put my value my, our values, our biblical values into my child. And, and then uh, my, my daughter Brooklyn asked me just the other day, how is it that the world is going to end? Is it going to go on forever or, or will it end? And it's just being there and spending time. I didn't say, come here, girls. I want to talk to you about the end of times. But it's about subtle interactions in everyday living. In order for this to happen, you have to be together and just happen to be talking to one another. These subtle, unplanned interactions account for, get this, much of the values that pass from one generation to the next. It's a powerful force in shaping young lives. I want to read this uh, song that I used to hear when I worked at a hardware store and they played Muzak. I remember this song and it was pretty impactful. It said, my child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking before I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be just like you, Dad. You know, I'm going to be just like you. The cat's in the cradle, the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, Dad? I don't know when. But we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And he walked away, but his smile never dimmed. He said, I'm going to be just like him, yeah? You know, I'm going to be just like him. When you coming home, Dad, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. He came home from college just the other day, so much like a man, I just had to say, son, I'm proud of you. Can you stay for a while? He shook his head and said with a smile, what I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? When you coming home, son, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we're going to have a good time then. I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids have the flu, but it's sure been nice talking to you, Dad. It's been nice talking to you. And I hung up. As I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. When you're coming home, son, I don't know when. We'll get together then, Dad. We're going to have a good time then. It's a little uncomfortable when, when I read this or hear this song. And it's uncomfortable to realize that many children are reaching out to fathers who aren't available. They aren't there. And so the cry of our culture is, show us the fathers. This culture is going to survive. We've got to have men that will stand up and be fathers. And, and I feel bad for when I see little boys with renegade fathers, fathers that have reneged on their responsibilities. And you see the little boys reaching out to any man who will come near to them, any man that will enter their lives. They need a man to take the place of their renegade fathers. You know, it's really shocking. I gave you some statistics just a minute ago, but I want to share a few more. Statistics about fatherless children and crime. 
85% of all children that exhibit behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. Did you get that? Did you hear that? 85%. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 90%. I'm not making this up. 80% of rapists with anger come from fatherless homes. 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions come from fatherless homes. 85% of young people sitting in prisons grew up in fatherless homes. You can pick any of the social ills in our culture, anyone at random, and you will find a correlation between fatherless and crime is clear and direct. That's why I'm saying, show us the fathers. Men, you need to be men. You need to commit to follow through with what you've started. Fatherless children are five times more likely than a child with a father to commit suicide. Fatherless children are 32 times more likely to run away than a child with a father. 20 times more likely to have a behavioral disorder. 14 times more likely to commit rape. Nine times more likely to drop out of high school. Ten times more likely to abuse chemical substances. Nine times more likely to end up in a mental institution. Twenty times more likely to end up in prison. This is the blight of our culture. Masculinity has gone from the role and fathers are absent. I saw the other day when I was sitting in the airport something that literally broke my heart. I was watching as a... uh, Two or three children were just sitting there quietly wiping tears. And the youngest one was something like that. And I looked over and I saw the father there with them and patting him on the head and then putting him on to the airport. And I didn't know the story, but I could fill in the blanks and realize that they'd come to spend a week or two with their dad and were going back across the country. And it broke my heart. I said, that's not right. And I I felt like for a minute, that's how God feels about things that destroy families and come in and create division. I hate divorce. God hates divorce. Do you hear me? The media urges people to do their own things, to chase impulsive desires without regard for the welfare of families. I talked to someone the other day. His wife left him. He had to break the news to his son. We're getting divorced. And his son, who's nine years old, started wetting the bed. Hadn't done that since he was a child. Show us the fathers. I want to tell you today that uh, uh, I'm talking to those of you. I just feel prompted by the Spirit to let somebody know that you've been fighting the urge to turn into, to just let it go, to give up, to quit. But I'm challenging you to stay committed to your family. Stay committed to your children. Come on now, to stay committed to the vows that you made to your spouse. You can't change the past. And I haven't come to put anybody on a guilt trip about things that happened in your past. But I have come to make clear to you and and give a certain sound like a trumpet. Say, when you have decisions going forward, be a man. Do the thing that God's called you to do. And as I hurt for those who don't have a father role in their life, I am... So happy to know and that, that God's grace extends to those in those types of situations. I heard a testimony the other day and I wanted to share it with you. Brother Ulysses, if you could come share with us right now.
Good afternoon. Uh, in 2000, early 2011, um, just, just follow, follow through with the story. I'm going to make it somewhere. In 2011, um, early 2011 in January, I was recognized by the city of Monrovia Citizen of the Year. And I didn't really understand what that was all about. And all the insecurities in me said, why me? And that night, as we went into this gala, over 200 people were there. And I looked at the room full of people and received this award. I glorified it. I magnified the Lord. Amen. But by the time I got home and I, you know, got into my pajamas and I laid in bed, I was taken back to my childhood days that whether it was on a graduation, whether I had been in a hospital, whether I had ran a good race in my childhood, every time that I looked at the audience, my father was not there. So while the night was a glorious night and the Lord was glorified because of the great things that he has done in my life. By the time I went into that secret place, by the time I went back into my bedroom, I was taken back into a dimension of my life that the Lord still wanted to heal. I realized, Brother Rick, that when I looked into the audience that night, my father was not there because I don't know my father. And the stepfather that I had, I didn't know him either because there was no relationship. As I was taken back by those thoughts, I began to say, okay, Lord, but I know that you are my father. Lord, I know that you were there. But there was still something deep, deep, deep in my soul that hurt. And by the time the night was over, I was in tears. And it brought me back to those patterns of wanting to commit suicide. It brought me back to those patterns of wanting to go back into the streets and pick up a crack pipe. It took me back to those patterns of wanting to go back into a bar. In 2011, I had already been an associate pastor for four years. In 2011, I had already had eight years of sobriety from the power of crystal methamphetamine. In 2011, I had already been used by the Lord to do mighty things, and I had already graduated from the Bible Institute. But in 2011, the Lord used that opportunity to take me back into a dimension of my life. Well, while I looked good on the outside and probably had one of the best plaques in my wall in my office, there was still a void and an emptiness in my life. And it was then that I realized that there was still something wrong with me. And I said, Lord, Lord, I know that you are my redeemer. And Father God, I know that you've brought me this far and that you have not brought me this far to fail. So that was in early 2011. I went through a series of things through the rest of that year because our family collapsed and just things went completely upside down. By 2000, September 2011, I went into a ministry, and it's called The River out of the Pasadena International House of Prayer. And this ministry focuses on brokenness. Why are we broken? And there was a, a chapter, chapter 6, week 7, that we were told about the wounds of the Father. And it was through that program that the Lord began to heal me from the inside out. And he began to, you know, kind of like when you take a pumpkin and you begin to take all the nasty out. That's what I began to discover. And it was, I was, I was veiled with, with shame because of how I felt on the inside. And yet I was supposed to go, you know, through the community and praise the Lord and do all kinds of things. But there was an emptiness on the inside of me. And yet, while Pastor today spoke about all those statistics, statistics and stuff like that, as grown-ups, we may say, well, but that was the past. But see, but the Lord desires on this day to still bring healing to a dimension of our life that we've learned how to mask very well. And I say that with respect because I masked it. I hid it behind the tongues. I hid it behind the worship. I hid it behind the way that I dressed. Amen? So that in, in, in that particular setting that night, uh, you divided into, four, uh, into groups of four, and, and we were in a, in a time of prayer. And the Holy Spirit was beginning to flow, and Sister Amber had just opened up my heart, and I said, Lord, 
I don't want to continue to live my life like this. Lord, you know, it's powerful to experience your anointing and your anointing. The gift is yours, but I'm still responsible for my character. And Father God, I don't know how to express that on, the, on, the, on the deep inside of me that I am hurting, Father God. And, and that sometimes I wake up still tempted to going back to those old patterns because there is no father I could run after who could tell me that it's going to be okay. Uh, there is no father that's saying, you know what, Ulysses, you're doing a good job. There is no earthly father that is telling me, make a left or make a right father so I am trusting you and that day we went into the into a dimension of the Holy Spirit and as I closed my eyes and as the prophetic began to move with my eyes closed and it's very clear even to me right now I saw these huge gigantic hands and at the middle of these hands was this baby this brown looking baby and all of a sudden those hands came to this huge huge chest right by the heart, and I saw this baby being held by those arms, and that baby was beginning to hear a heartbeat, and the Lord said, I was there. I was there to father you, and it may sound extremely simple, but that vision was used of the Lord to begin to heal a dimension in my life that I had struggled with forever because I felt abandoned. It didn't matter who, I'm giving God glory, amen. It didn't matter how many newspapers I was in. It didn't matter how many television shows I have been. It didn't matter whose cell phone number I had. It didn't matter that I lived above Foothill because that's the pride in Monrovia. With all, it didn't matter. I still felt empty on the inside of me. And in closing, the Lord said to me, I am your redeemer. As I saw this baby wrapped in a blanket, Sister Brown, I began to experience comfort. See, God has a unique way to begin to heal you if you make yourself available, amen? He wants to go to that deep, deep, deep place. I don't want to feel abandoned. I don't want to feel rejected anymore. I didn't know how to connect with healthy relationships that were trying to reach out to support me. and love. I didn't know how. Uh, to me, I am better off at home in a cave all by myself, but that's not healthy. And the Lord said, I am your redeemer. And according to Job 19.25, Job declared, I know that my redeemer lives, amen. So that September of the year 2011, I declared that I knew that my redeemer lives. And the word redemption means to buy back what the devil tried to steal from my life. That concept, hallelujah, that wholeness on the inside of my soul, of my spirit. He tried to tamper with it because my father was irresponsible. And then the father after that was irresponsible. And every time that I needed that father to be a part of my life, it began, hallelujah, to destroy the image on the inside of me and I began to destroy my soul but that day when I saw that baby in a vision wrapped by a blanket hallelujah and he was beginning to receive the comfort not only was it a vision but it was a word from the Lord and I believe it's a word from the Lord today don't remember don't forget who your redeemer is he has the ability hallelujah maybe your father has already gone and passed and whatever the case may be but the father and the God that 
we serve, hallelujah, he does not know time the way that we know time. He has no restrictions whatsoever. So I encourage you today in the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, to begin to declare, hallelujah, what Job declared in chapter 19, 25. I know that my Redeemer lives, hallelujah, and God could go into that time and begin to heal you and make you whole. That is the message today for the church, and it's a message that needs to go into the alleys. It's a message that needs to go into the prisons. It's a message that needs to go, hallelujah, into mental institutions because it's those men that are in mental institutions, hallelujah, that don't know what the love of a father is, but he is the heavenly father. And it is time that we rise up as a church and say, I know that my Redeemer lives because the Redeemer will go and he will purchase back. He will take back what the devil tried to restore and he will make it a whole again. I can go home today and not feel like I have to pick up a crack pipe. I can go back today and I, I just realized that I haven't had the prompting of wanting to commit suicide. I am very open with my testimony because I want to glorify him. I have learned not to mask the pain that I have felt because when I am open and honest with him, it is then that he can come and do what he has promised to do. God bless you. Hallelujah. Why don't we stand and just praise the Lord right now for his mercy to us. Our Heavenly Father is so good to us. Hallelujah. I wonder if we could just gather up around the front for a moment right now before we leave this place and transition. Just all of our church family and guests and friends, I want you just to move up to the front right now. Because I believe that God wants to do healing in this place. And as uh, Brother Ulysses was sharing the story with me, how that not only was it just in his memory, but he felt like he was going back there, actually back in time. And you know, the Holy Spirit is not bound by time or space. And he can take you back to a time and, and reorder your thoughts about what was happening then and there. And I believe there's that power through the Holy Ghost. But before we pray, I, I want to just talk for just a moment about the most important thing that a father can do. Your main priority as a father is to pass along your faith to your children. And I know it's harder to teach values today than it was 30 or 40 years ago because of the widespread rejection of Christian principles in our culture and our world. It's produced a generation of young people who have discarded the moral standards of the Bible. Our kids are being raised in a world with promiscuity on the rise. It's not enough for just us just to serve and revere God, but we have to pass the baton to the next generation. It's our responsibility to intentionally communicate the real meaning of Christianity to the next generation. And I want to challenge some people of God here today to get a burden for your children. There is a tug of war being waged every single day for the hearts and minds of every child on earth including my three little baby girls. Satan would love to deceive and destroy your kids. And very soon they will have to choose the path that they will take. We're in a relay race. I got the baton from my dad. The most tentative or dangerous time was the time of transition. 
from one hand to the next. The day is coming when I have to intentionally pass the baton to my children so that they can run the race. Races are often won or lost by how successfully the baton is transferred. And our greatest role as fathers is to make sure that our faith is transferred to our children. I've got to get the baton. What is the baton? Biblical values and the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've got to get it into the hands of my children. This is, are you listening? This is my most important reason for living. My number one responsibility is to evangelize my own children, my own family. Dr. James Dobson, many of you have heard of him. He's a well-known Christian psychologist. And uh, he made a commitment from 1971 to 1978 to devote one day every single week to fasting and prayer for the spiritual welfare of his children one day per week and when he would go into prayer these are the words he and his wife would say Lord here we are again you know what we need even before we ask but let us say it one more time when you are considering the many requests we have made of you through the years regarding our health and our ministry and the welfare of our loved ones Please put this particular supplication at the top of the list. Keep the circle of our little family unbroken when we stand before you on the day of judgment. Compensate for our mistakes and failures as parents and counteract the influences of an evil world that would undermine the faith of our children. And especially, Lord, we ask for your involvement when our sons and daughters stand at the crossroads deciding whether or not to walk the Christian path. They will be beyond our care at that moment, and we humbly ask you to be there. Send a significant friend or leader to help them choose the right direction. They were yours before they were born, and now we give them back to you in faith, knowing that you love them even more than we do. And toward that end, we dedicate this day of fasting and prayer. I believe we need to have great awareness of our need for divine assistance in the awesome task of parenthood. There's not enough books to read to get all the answers. There's not enough sermons you can hear. Not enough techniques you can employ. You need God's help. You've got to have a burden. And you've got to pray for your families. James Dobson's great-grandfather was a man named George McCluskey. And at a certain point in his life, he decided and committed to pay, pray one hour every day from 11 to noon in intercessory prayer for his family. And as he was approaching death, he announced to his family that God had given him a promise that every single member of his family for four generations would be Christians. And Dr. Dobson declared he is the fourth generation and every single one of the family members either became a minister of the gospel or married a minister of the gospel in four generations. That's called heritage. And that is the power of prayer. Hallelujah. Amen. I want you to join together with your family.
And uh, if there are some whose family aren't here, I want to make sure that everybody's connected with somebody. We're going to pray with one another right now. Amen. Look around. Be conscientious. We want to pray. Praise the Lord. Amen. Some of you are single. Find another single person right near to you. Look look on either side of you right now because we're going to pray for one another. Hallelujah. We're going to pray for our families. We're going to pray for God's healing, strength. On this beautiful day, I know this has been kind of a challenging word, but I believe we need this. We need to recognize that the, 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 the direction of this world is way off track. They're moving away from biblical principles, and you need to hear a clear and certain sound. Amen. So I want us to pray for one another. Let's pray in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord God, for every person who's in the house today, Lord. And we thank you, Jesus, for your mercy and love as our Heavenly Father that you have extended towards us. God, you've been good. And I thank you for that. Jesus, right now I pray a prayer of healing for those, Lord Jesus, who are struggling today, those that are hurting today, maybe because of a loss of a father or a missing father. I pray for healing. I pray for those, Lord Jesus, who are hurting because... There's been a collapse in their personal family or problems have come. I want your healing to come into the place, Jesus. I want the comfort of the Holy Spirit to come in Jesus' name. And I pray that you would touch each individual, Lord God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would heal deep wounds, Lord God. That you would give people confidence to come to you and open up and say, God, I need your help with this. This hurts. I don't know where the answer will come from, but I need you, Jesus. We pray this in the name of the Lord. And God, now we pray for our families, Jesus, our children. I pray in the name of the Lord for every father as he stands in the gap as a spiritual leader in his home and says, God, I want my children to love you. I want my children to embrace truth. I want my children, Lord God, to treat people like you treated people. I want you, Lord Jesus, to be in the lives of my kids. And I pray, Lord God, that you would help me. I know I've made mistakes. I know I've messed up. God, I know I've been busy, Lord Jesus. I know I haven't been there like I should, but I'm praying, Lord God, first of all, that you'd help me to do everything that I can and that you would make up the gaps, Lord, in my past, my mistakes. All of us have made mistakes. And God, we are praying the most important thing, Jesus, the reason I'm still breathing today is I've got to evangelize the world. And the most important people to evangelize is my family, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Let me be a father, Lord God, that models, that models values in front of my kids by being faithful to church, by being faithful to my wife, by being faithful to my responsibilities. I pray in the name of Jesus. God, let me be a godly man. I want to show this world what a real father is, Lord God. I want Life Church to have many families that are showing the world, that's crying out, show us the fathers. We need an example. We need a pattern. And in the name of Jesus, I pray for our families. In the name of the Lord. Come on, lift up your hands right now. I feel the Holy Spirit moving in right now. I feel the winds of refreshing. I feel the winds of healing right now.
somebody that there's power in prayer that God hears your prayer and it makes a difference and I don't want you to make it just one once a year on Father's Day you say well I'm going to pray for my kids why don't you make it a pattern in your personal prayer life why don't you say this is my priority if, if I'm willing to take time to pray that the finances would come in why wouldn't I take time to say God the most important thing to me is help me help me get the values into my kids help me get these help me live a life that puts values in my kids help me be there Lord and make those impressions I pray in the name of Jesus so I want you to be encouraged I, I'm talking to some mothers who kids whose kids aren't in church right now I want you to be encouraged because prayer still works I remember watching Roger Meyer walk into the church, fall on his face and give his life to the Lord. And then he actually became my boss. I worked construction under him for a few years. He was a godly example. But his dad, his dad, Hewlin Meyer, had been a pastor, been a missionary. And Roger had gone off and done his own thing, got married, went and cheated on his wife, did every imaginable thing you can imagine. It's a wild man. And uh, Brother Meyer went to the grave praying for Roger, saying, God, I want to see Roger saved. I want Roger to be saved. He never saw it. I want to tell you that prayers don't die. If prayers can stretch four generations, listen to me. There's power in prayer. Don't be discouraged. Do not be discouraged. Be godly. Pray. Be a good example. One last time, this is the last thing we're going to do. We're going to turn over to Pastor Amado to give us instructions. I want us to give a huge, just wait, 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 wait. I want to show honor and respect to the men who stuck in there, who still living for God, still hanging in there. Amen. Yet every opportunity walking, walking, 
to leave, but you're still there. You're living for God. Even those whose families have broken apart, they're saying, I'm trying to be a father to my kids as best I can, even though there's separation that's happened. I honor you, fathers. I honor you. And I want us to give a huge hand to the men of God that are showing us what it means to be a father. encourage you today to love your father and if you don't have your father with you encourage someone that has been a father figure to you call them tell me love them and young people don't forget your father is cool he's a cool guy he can still outdo you in a, in a lot of things and in a lot of ways and so young people love and honor and respect your father Yes, the older you get, the more you realize how smart your dad was and is. That's right. That's right. So today, enjoy a wonderful Father's Day. We love you, Life Church. Every father, we want you to receive a gift as you walk out. There's a gift that's been prepared for you. And uh, this week, important week, we've got life groups. Don't forget life groups. And uh, Setup Team 3 is going to tear down today in about five minutes or so. Why don't we, before we leave, just one last hand clap of praise publicly together to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done and what you're going to do. Lord, we know we trust you, our Father, amen, and our Redeemer does live, amen. God bless you. Show your love to one another. Greet someone and enjoy the rest of the day in the Lord. God bless.